0: I'm sure the Irish Sea is brimming with creatures great and small. Those that have been seen documented and understood, and then those that haven't. Guess which ones we're going to be talking about. There is one in particular that called the sea its home, but then wanted to settle down in Cumbria, setting its sights on a little place called Nethertown, the railway runs pretty much right along the coastline and it is the station master at Nether Town that this story concerns. It's a story of how far you'll go for your loved ones and when it might just be too far. His name was Robert Allenson. He'd lived in Cumbria all his life and began working at Nethertown train station when it opened in 1849, becoming the first station master. He lived in a house right next to his place of work with his wife Victoria and his two children, Ernest and Mabel. It was an easy, idyllic life for the mid-1800s. Town was only a long walk and obviously Robert's commute was short enough that he could go home for lunch and never be late for dinner. Adding the minimal action that the train lines saw, and the Allinson household were a strong unit living on a British beachfront. They had everything they could have wanted. And one thing, they didn't. See, the station house was quite isolated on the seafront, and during construction in late 1848 into 49, the workers had come into a bit of trouble. Not with the tide, Uh, the house and station were safely built up a rise but with the local wildlife. Through the night something was making itself at home in the partly assembled shelter. It was making kind of nests in each of the structures that would have to be cleared away the next morning but by the next day they would have returned. And these weren't small birds nests hidden in the rafters, these were large human-sized Beds, almost. Crafted into the rooms. Kelp that had washed up on the shore as well as other Detroit foliage formed it. But once the workers got used to disposing of it daily, it became part of the job. However, it didn't stop once construction was complete. Victoria would often find remnants of the sea kelp through their garden despite, as I mentioned, the house being a steep incline up from the shore. What's more, she once found a fully assembled kelp bed in the attic of the house. They never saw any animal making their house a home and so put it down to the activity of large birds making a nuisance of themselves while they got used to a new large structure in range of their habitat. And life went on. As it had for the builders, clearing this kelp and detritus became routine but it wasn't every day. They simply saw it as a small price to pay for paradise. Mabel and Ernest excelled at school, Victoria enjoyed her role in the community, and Robert made Nethertown station the most welcoming stop on the train line. The end. Oh wait, uh, I didn't tell you about Christmas. So, uh, Christmas day, 1849, there's a break-in at the station. From the house, Victoria spies the light on at the station and informs Robert who goes to check it out. When he gets there, he sees no one. But the light is still on and the floor is wet, as if someone had mopped select areas. And strewn across the floor? sea kelp. Robert extinguished the light and left, going to lock the door only to find that it had been broken open. He tied it shut with some rope and then looked out across the tracks and down towards the shore where, in the dim of the evening, he saw a figure, running, running towards the sea. The distance was too great to keep a decent eye on it and eventually Robert lost sight, but when he put two and two together, that this figure was probably who broke into the station, traipsing seek help from their walk up the beach, the same thing that was found scattered through their garden, through their home. Robert set off for his house, he wasn't a paranoid man, but he checked over his shoulder a few times on his walk, and it's a good thing he did. Because as he turned his head to check behind him, his eyes crossed the beach and there he saw the re-emerged figure from earlier, still running, only not towards the sea, towards the house. Robert stopped dead, but only for a moment. Instinct kicked in and he attempted to match the figures pace in a race for the house. Robert had the upper hand as he was on even ground with the house and he burst through the front door checking on his family before making a beeline for the beach side window. He looked out and saw... Nobody. Nothing. Maybe it was the few drinks he'd had through the day. Maybe his imagination had just run away with him. Maybe he could believe that. if. He hadn't gone outside to check, and found a set of footprints on the beach, leading from the station, down to the beach, along the shore, and then stopping directly in line with the house. From then on, life at the station house wasn't so cheery robert essentially kept two jobs meaning he stopped going home for lunch and he was often late for dinner if he turned up at all no his breaks were spent on the beach patrolling for passers-by of course there were some locals strolling along it friends who robert was sure he could trust but as he saw the same faces every day which he was bound to the village was a small one his trust in them waned he also seeked out caves in the cliffside attempting to ward off any wildlife who might have made their home there but that's only what he told Victoria. In his mind he was surely searching for that figure that had broken into the station. When his shift was done he would sit out on the beach sometimes for hours surveying the area and he saw just enough to keep him going back night after night. A fleet in shadow here, a mysterious shape there. At home, things were strained. Mabel and Ernest were happy enough, but their grades were slipping at school, and Victoria was concerned with Robert's mindset and spotty attendance. But as Robert came home each night, later and later, the family seemed to live without him. The kids would be tucked into bed, and Victoria would be reading in the sitting room. Then he would have his cold dinner before retiring for the evening. ...only to do it all again the next day. One next day came on a cold night in March. As Robert was sitting on a large boulder towards the cliffside... ...sweeping his gaze across the shore... ...he spotted what looked like a child. A young boy playing on his own close to the water... Robert may have garnered a bit of an obsession, but he wasn't crazy, he wasn't seeing things and he had his common sense. A child shouldn't be down here alone at this time of night and he should be helped. Robert made his way over, keeping an eye on the boy as he did. When he got close enough, he shouted out for the boy who turned his head to Robert. A father can easily recognise his son. He shouted his name, but Ernest turned and ran for the house. Robert gave chase, continuing to shout for his son. He assured him that he would be in no trouble, but Ernest continued to run, and Robert chased him all the way back to the house. Ernest reached first due to his head start, and he saw his son go through the back garden gate, with Robert bursting in a few moments after. In the house, he walked through and saw Victoria in the living room with her book, where... When he queried where Ernest was, she told Robert that he was in bed, and had been for over an hour. Robert went upstairs to check for himself, and there he was. Ernest, tucked up tightly in his bed, sleeping. There were no damp, sandy shoes, nor dirty footprints through the house. Nothing to indicate that Ernest was ever outside. Heading out into the back garden, he saw nothing. Nothing but sea kelp caught in the rails of the garden gate. What had he seen? Was he losing his mind? How was his son alone on the beach only to be in bed at the exact same time? The obsession was starting to become a mania. At work he would be distracted with his glances down at the beach and the only time he was ever home was to set traps to catch whatever he thought was invading his land. Victoria was obviously concerned and she was right to be as Mabel soon got caught in one of her father's traps. It was like a homemade bear trap but not as severe. A metal wire that, when tripped, whips around the legs and clasps on tight. Mabel was caught in it and was left uh, with severe lacerations on her lower legs, nothing she wouldn't recover from, but the scars would remain. Robert was beside himself, distraught uh, at what he'd done. He took time off from work and spent time with his family, or at least at home. Many of his spare moments were spent looming on the cliffside, waiting at the back garden gate or lurking at the beachside window. In his mind, he was doing all this, being attentive, keeping his eyes peeled, set in that trap. He was doing it for his family's well-being. But he'd taken his eyes off his family to do so. When putting the kids to bed that night, he took them in only to notice something strange. Mabel's scars had fully healed not a scratch not a mark not a sign that anything had ever happened on either leg she smiled and asked her dad what he was looking at but he didn't give an answer instead kissing his daughter good night and leaving the room downstairs Victoria was excited to share her opinion on the book she had just finished and so was glad to have Robert home so she could do so And Robert sat, but he didn't listen, as his mind raced with the disappearing scars, his son on the beach, and the figure at the station. Robert couldn't be everywhere at once, that's what was driving him mad. He needed to keep an eye on everything, and so scoured the beach, returned home to check the house, scanned the gardens, inspected the cliffside, put in a shift at work, and then started all over again, searching everywhere else in between. He would go home to check on his family, but not their well-being, he actually checked on them, he checked them to see what was wrong with them, who they were, what they were. From work, he would see his sons. Down on the beach, alone, he would go home to see his scarless daughter and as he went home one evening, the kids were in bed and he saw his wife, Victoria, reading a book. The same one she had just been so excited to finish. Now, it's not uncommon, I don't think, for someone to reread a book after finishing it but the Allensons didn't have a small collection and I suppose for Robert it was another piece of evidence that told him that his family... wasn't his family. I don't know if the word clones existed in 1850, but that's where Robert's mind was going. Duplicates. He could find no other way to explain his daughter's disappearing scars, his son being in two places at once, and apparently his wife reading the same book twice in a row. But what about everything else? What about the station in The sea kelp? The detritus beds, the figure on the beach, his mind couldn't make sense of it. But he was about to see the sense. Sitting on the beach one summer evening, he had it all going through his head just as he had for the past few months. As the sun went down, he stared out across the sea and had a moment of terrifying clarity. He could accept that this was his life. Where he was haunted with thoughts of the supernatural. Or he could continue to hunt and stake out the truth. As he stared, something moved in the shallow of the ocean. It looked as if it was being brought in by the tide. But as it got closer, Robert could see that it moved independently of the waves. Something was walking towards the shore. And I say something, not someone. It had legs, it had arms, but this thing wasn't human. It staggered to shore before standing upright easily, reaching eight foot tall, crafting a horrifying silhouette. But perhaps most terrifying was that it seemed to be staring straight at Robert. He was frozen as it took the first few steps towards him. He lurched back slightly as it drew closer. He tried to shout out as it came only a few steps from him. And then it stopped. It wasn't pitch black so Robert could see what it was. A monster, he said. A green monster with steam emanating from it, covered in sea kelp. Robert didn't blink, he just took in the visage. After a few moments, the thing darted away. It ran back to the shoreline and then made a sharp turn right towards the house. Robert had to shake himself off and so did, bringing himself to give chase. Whether everything now made sense or made even less sense, he had to protect his family. He kept the monster in sight as he ran after it, refusing to draw his vision away, and because he never looked away, he saw something spectacular. He saw the kelp drop away, he saw the form change, shrink, and he saw the monster morph into a human. A shadowy figure in the distance of the evening dusk. Robert stopped and watched it disappear into the distance and up towards the house. He looked down at the discarded kelp on the beach... ...before slowly making his way home. As he got to the front door, he pushed it open and walked through to the kitchen. There, at the table, he saw his two children, Ernest and Mabel, his wife Victoria, and her husband, Robert, enjoying their evening meal in their lovely, quaint station. Cheers for listening to episode 5 of season 2 of the Folklore of Cumbria cast. This is one of those stories I've heard about, you know. You watch one of those black and white horror films with a sea monster in it and you read that it was based on a true story the director heard and it goes back and back and you eventually find out it happened on your doorstep. But when I heard this one it had substance. And that's because an actual sea monster told it to me they were called so thank you for sharing your tale and thank you once again for listening did robert see a sea monster did robert see shape-shifting sea monsters was this a story of an invasion Not the invasion of those from the sea, but the invasion of industry into a natural habitat. They had tried to exist peacefully with the new structures, building their nests when there was nobody around where nobody went. But they kept being torn down and so they had to take back their home a bit more aggressively. Or was Robert Allinson seeing things? Was he driven mad by the isolation of his new job? It's something we'll probably never know, but the story does actually end with Robert seeing his family with another Robert at the dinner table and making them choose, making them decide who the real Robert is. The family end up choosing the one sat at the dinner table because he was present and loving and wasn't off chasing beasts on the beach. The repelled Robert then leaves and dedicates his life to catching those monsters while keeping an eye on the ones in the station house. He lived in one of the caves and became a reason for the locals to avoid many trips to that particular part of the shoreline. Anyone who did manage to talk to him would say that he was actually looking for his family, because just as he was ousted from his home by a doppelganger, his family must have been as well. Of course, this has all passed into legend now. Not much exists of the tale, and the only place you'll surely find more is on the beachfront, down the cliffside from Nethertown Station, where caves in the face hide the bones of the first station master. And if there are more bones buried there, well, then maybe he did find his family, and lived happily ever. Good night.